This morning I want to talk about the subject of that you can live the Christian life. Now I'm not pleased with that title. I'm not sure about the use of the word Christian here as an adjective or the Christian life, but maybe I should have said you can live the life of a Christian, something like that. That might have been better. It seems a little clunkier. But the idea is that although it may seem impossible or you may have doubts about it, especially if you're a new Christian, you can do what God requires of you to do to be a Christian. You can do what God has set forth in the New Testament to be a Christian. It's not impossible. It's not something that you can't achieve. I don't care who you are. You can live the life of a Christian. Won't be easy necessarily, but it wouldn't be, if, if it was easy, everybody would do it and you would, would have already done it. Okay. So we're going to come to that. But I think sometimes it's easy for people to get discouraged about the idea, even after they become a Christian, that I really can't do this. I've got to change too much. I got to, I don't know if I can give up this, or I don't know if I can do that. And look at all these other shiny, happy people in church, you know. They're all so shiny and happy they've never had problems like me. That's what people think. I, I wish I could somehow magically reach inside your brain and burst that bubble. That all these people here that you see so scrubbed up on Sundays have all had such a nice, easy life and this is all an easy thing for them and they just got it all made. They've never struggled with sin or temptation. I wish I could burst your bubble about that. It would be a valuable thing because that simply isn't true. How do I know? Because I've dealt with people like this all my life. Literally, almost all my life. I know and the one I've dealt with the most is me. And so I know that you can be shiny and happy looking but that doesn't mean you don't struggle. All of us struggle. Some of us show it in different ways. Now, that's not an excuse for anything, and I'm not going to make an excuse. But I don't want you to think that I can't do this because I'm just different. That's You know, when I was a young man, that's an excuse that I gave myself. Being handicapped and being pushed around because of that, I would think to myself, no one has ever had it as hard as me. No one's ever felt like I felt. Any of you young people ever feel that? Of course you do. You know why you feel that? Because you're a thinking human being. That's why you think that. You're a person with a brain. And you think, well, it couldn't be this bad for anybody else. Look how easy they all have it. But once I was able to burst that bubble in my own head, I was able to make a little progress. No, not different. I got my own sometimes special things, but I'm just a special kind of whatever, you know. But it doesn't mean I can't do it or shouldn't do it. Or more importantly, it doesn't mean that you're exempt from what God says to you because you have special problems. In fact, sometimes I believe the more problems you have, the more God has put on you to overcome. That's a God-given compliment almost, as it were, that he expects more of you. We're going to come to that. So hang on. Let's just start with a basic scripture that should help you. And there's a couple like this in the Bible. 1 Timothy 2 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There's one like that in First uh, Peter 2. God desires, uh, excuse me, Second Peter 3, God desires all men to be saved. He hasn't picked out just a few people to save them. 
and a few people that have attributes that are not like yours to save them. He hasn't done that. He didn't do it from the beginning. He desires and wants all people to be saved. Well, why won't they all be saved then if God wants it? Because part of the equation that God built in is that some of it depends upon you. It's what you have to do in response. Else there'd be no faith. God could just made a, a race of robots that will always do what he wants. He didn't want that. There's no love in that. There's nothing in that. There's no praise, no glory, no honor in creating a race of robots that will always pre, be pre-programmed to do what God wants. He gave you choices and free will to do and to disobey. But he still wants you to be saved. Which tells me, if I know anything about God, since God is a loving and gracious God, that he made it possible for you to be saved. It is entirely possible. I will say at the beginning of the sermon, if you truly want to be saved, you will be saved. Said last week, what do people do? Go back and listen to the sermon. What is it that people do? You know what they do? They do whatever they want. That's what I did when I was a kid. That's what my kids did. That's what I'm doing now. That's what you're doing. You're doing what you want to do. That's what you're doing. What's the question then? Not that you get to do whatever you want. The question is, what do you want? That's the question. What is it that you want? And if you want to be saved, God desires you to be saved, you will be saved. Let's go back a little bit. Come back to that point. What has it happened to you? Whether it happened a week ago, six weeks ago, or 50 years ago, as in my case, or more. More than 50 years ago. Almost 60 years ago. Well, you were baptized into Christ at some point. At some point, you believed the Word of God. You believed that you were a sinner. You believed that Christ was the answer to your sins. And so you did what the Scriptures say. You arose and were baptized, and you had your sins washed away. I was a young man in Cincinnati. It was very cold. But I decided on a Friday night in a meeting that I was going to be baptized. I didn't care what anybody said. And I raised my hand. And I was standing. Well, I couldn't come forward because I was on the front row. So that was out. I just had to raise my hand and wave at the preacher. So I didn't come forward like the rest of you because I was already on the front row. That's how good a person I was. But I can't, I said, I want to be baptized. And I went down into that water shaking like a leaf as a young man. Came out of it freezing cold, but feeling that I had done what God wanted me to do. And I was right about that. How do I know I was right? Because the scriptures say, arise and be baptized. Why are you waiting? And wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And that began a very tumultuous off and on journey of failure and some success at a young age. But that's what you did. That's exactly what you should do. And let me tell you at this point what the Scriptures say is your sins were washed away. You were clean. That's what I felt. I was clean. But it wasn't long until the the cleanness began to wear off a little bit and I began to feel a little bit dirtier and I began to do more what I wanted to do at that time which wasn't so good sometimes. Especially as I grew later in my teenage years. And I did what I wanted to do. And that's what's going to happen to you if it hasn't happened already. You'll start off well, but Satan will never leave you alone. He wants you back. He does not want you to stay where you are. He wants you back, and so he will tempt you. He began to tempt Jesus when Jesus began his ministry right away. He will throw something in front of you. I don't care what it is, right away he'll throw it in front of you and he'll keep throwing it in front of you, and he'll keep running that play until you stop it. He wants you back. And so you can expect to feel to sin. You can expect to do poorly at times. 
That's normal. That's what happens. But it's not a hopeless situation. The Bible says in, in the book of Romans chapter 6, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Well, we shouldn't. We can, but we shouldn't live any longer. You can't just keep living in it. To make a mistake and to sin once in a while is one thing. It's not good. Excuse me, my nose is itching this morning. I changed allergy medicines because of my son's recommendation and... Uh, the jury's really still out. They're really deliberating. This is not a good choice I'm making because I can't hear or breathe this morning. So something isn't too good about that. And he has the word doctor in front of his name. But anyway, uh, no, we shouldn't live in it, but we do sometimes. That's the worst case. The best case is that you'll sin from time to time. You'll regret it and you'll see what it is. The worst case is you just go right back into whatever lifestyle you had before. You keep doing the things you were doing and you're trapped once again. But he says, do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We should be walking in a new life. So eventually, as time goes by, the changes can happen to you based upon your conversion to Christ, the power of God's Word, which then causes the Holy Spirit to work in you, can change your desires. You can begin to live a new life. Some of that's your own choice that you can make. I'm choosing not to live this life, but to live this life. That's a choice you make. Other things you learn as you as you grow, but that's the ideal. Now what happens when you fail? What if you fail? It probably isn't a matter of what if you fail. You know, it's like when I went to the audiologist two or three years ago. He says, why are you here? He said, I said, well, you know, I think I'm having some hearing loss. He said, how old are you? I said, I think I'm, I'm 67 or 68, whatever it was. He said, well, I know you have hearing loss 100% because you're male and you're over 65. The question is how much and what kind? I went, oh, I do have hearing, well, he said, I know, I know this because I've never met a male 65 and over doesn't have hearing loss. This is not encouraging news, is it? Well, it made me feel better. I wasn't just some kind of a crazy person, but it didn't make me feel better either, really, in a long, but it's not what if I fail, it's when you fail. That's what I'm making. You don't fail because you inherited sin. You fail after the likeness of Adam. He chose to sin. You sin because you want to do what you want to do. Let's just face it. That isn't good news. doesn't make any of us look pretty or shiny or happy, but we sin because we do what we want to do. Even if it's choose to use ugly words, to be greedy, to be spiteful, to be, you know, all the other sins you can listen, much less all the other sexual, uh, other uh, uh, behavioral sins, you fail. Here's a case. Here's a man, Acts 8. He had been in a, a magician, an occultist, gave that up, became a Christian at the preaching of the word through Philip. He became a Christian. And uh, burned all his books. And then he saw Peter come down and Peter the apostle began to do real miracles. He had done fake miracles. People called him great. He was so good at it. He was really good at this magic stuff. He could fool people. But he saw Peter doing real miracles and he wanted to buy that power. Not only to buy the power to do them, but to give it to other people. He could sell this power. 
And when Peter heard about this, because he asked him, he was open about it. This man, Simon, Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. Now, this was a baptized believer. He had been following the apostles around because he believed in them and believed in the word of God. And he, that man that you think would be so perfect because he'd been following the apostles around and had been baptized, he said, Peter says, repent therefore of your wickedness and pray God that perhaps the thought of your heart will be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and by bound by iniquity. And then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord. Simon, not being Simon Peter, but Simon the sorcerer, we call him. Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken come upon me. Now God, Peter told him to pray. He asked Peter to pray. And we can debate about that. But the point is, here's a man who was a Christian who failed. What do you do? Well, there's an avenue. God doesn't leave you. Don't feel discouraged about that in the sense that, that it's hopeless. You should be discouraged. You should be disappointed that you fail. That's fine. But it's not a failure that's fatal. You can change. You can repent again. That means to turn around, change your mind again, and go back like you were and be forgiven for that. God built in this process of saving people who are saved again through prayer. Don't be baptized again. You have to turn around and go back to God. Once again, what do you want to do? Is that what you want or do you want to wallow in failure? You want to be lost. If you want to be saved, there's a way out. You have to choose that way. So repent, that means to change your mind about what you've been doing and pray to God that he might forgive you. Now I want to make two or three points. Our time is going to get away. Uh, I know I can't get finished with this this morning. Two or three points. We've already made a couple of these, but make, emphasize them again for you. You can, you can live the life of a Christian. The first reason that I know that is that what I said before, that God is on your side. God is not against you. You know, we picture in American jurisprudence, we have the scale of the, the woman who's blindfolded and she's holding out the scales and here are the two even scales. The scales of justice. And so the law weighs out in a blindfolded fashion, weighs out the guilt or innocence of whoever it is and makes an impartial judgment. And that's a good legal system. It's the best that there's ever been. It's not perfect by any means, but it's pretty close to, to what we can achieve as humans except that all of us in the United States are corrupt and have no integrity, but then that would work better from the prosecutors, the judges, the police, to the people are all corrupt and have no integrity. So other than that, it works fine. But the picture in the New Testament is not like, and the, God, the Bible is not like that. Here is the scale of guilt or innocence, Salvation or destruction. God has his finger on the side of salvation. That's what the Bible is saying here. God has put his finger on the scale and tips it toward saving you. He tips it toward in your favor. That's what it means. He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now a judge in a courtroom should, and a jury should listen to the evidence and and not have a desire for one thing or the other. Let justice prevail. Let the truth prevail. But God says, no, I want men to be saved. And so he's tipped things in your favor. It won't feel like it sometimes. You wonder because 
you want maybe more help than you should probably get, but God's tipping it in your favor. And that's why it says again in Second Peter chapter 3 that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not will that anyone should perish. You say, well, then God doesn't will it. How can it happen? Because he is willing that you would obey him. And when you don't obey, he's willing that you'd be destroyed. But he's tipped the scale in your favor. He's given you, as it says in this very book, all things that pertain to life and godliness have been given to you already through the scriptures and through this, the knowledge of his son. They've all been given to you. There it is sitting in front of you. Do you want this? You can have this. Jesus says, when I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Are they, do they, do they come to him? No, but they could. His example of suffering and, and his example of humility sets before us. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do they? Some do. But God wants them all to come. He wants you. He wants you to repent, come again. Now, the other thing, moving along, we can talk, talk about that the rest of the lesson, but we won't. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. I know this passage is disputed by some, but that doesn't bother me because I think I can understand and read what the words say. Here in, in the book of First Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 10, it starts off in verse 12, which is the theme of the book of Corinthians, First Corinthians. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That's a very serious warning, especially for modern people that think they know everything because they can, they got test tubes and laboratories and they can do, they can do polling. And so they think they know everything. A lot of what most, well, put this way. Everything that's truly important to you cannot be discovered by a double blind study or by an experiment. Everything that really matters in your life is not found by that kind of method. Scientific method is good, but it's good for what it's made for, and it's not made to discover the truth of what's really important to you. Life and death and meaning and significance and love and hate, not meant to discover those things. We think we can take surveys of people and find out what love is or what marriage should be, because we take a survey of married or unmarried people, we can find out what marriage should be. Really? Is that where truth comes from on that subject? Doing scientific surveys? No, it comes from the word of God. But he says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Be careful when you think you know everything. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Or some versions say, is such as man can bear. And what that means is that the temptation, that's what I was talking about before. The temptations that you have are not unusual or unique to you. You're not the first person that's ever faced this temptation. You're not the first person that's ever been put to the test like this with grief or suffering or pain. You're not the first. You're not the only one. It's a common thing. Everything that happens to you is something that happens to other people. And it's something God is saying here that he designed to happen to people. God didn't design the temptation of this world to be placed upon angels. He didn't say, I'm going to give you the temptations of these supernatural beings. He's giving you temptations and tests that belong to human beings with flesh and blood, just like you. That's the only kind of temptation you can have. One that is suitable for human beings, that's made for humans. And therefore, because of God's nature of mercy, it is something that you can bear. And that's why he follows this up when it says no temptation is overtaking you except such as common to man. What's the next phrase? But God is faithful. You can object to that all you want. But the point is God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. 
but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Those are significant. We did a whole sermon on this two months ago. If you want to go on the website, wearejustchristians.com, you can look it up under um, hmm, the way of escape. I think I called it the way of escape. You can look it up. It's a whole sermon on this verse. What this verse is saying is that when you're tempted, it's not something that's not common to human beings. It is. It's been done before by other people. It can be done by you. And that it is not beyond what you're able to bear. This is why C.S. Lewis in his book on the problem of pain, which is maybe one of his best writings to me personally, the problem of pain, that that's the problem of why people suffer. Why is there suffering? That's what it's about. He basically says this problem is the divine compliment. When people suffer, what they're experiencing is the divine compliment. God allows them to suffer, sometimes even to a great degree. Why? It's because he thinks well of them. That helped me as a young man undergoing pain or temptations or whatever it might be. To understand that what, and my mother told me this as a young boy and some of the things I had to go through with my physical difficulties are the things she said, God would not let this happen to you if he didn't think you had the strength to do right, to do well with it. If he didn't think this would make you better, he would not let this happen to you. And I didn't want that. I thought, well, what kind of God is that? Well, what kind of God is that? That's a good and gracious God I see now at 70. I didn't see that so much at 12 or 11. What kind of God is that? I remember the day, I shouldn't get this far afield. I was, I don't know, 11, 12, 13 years old, somewhere. I can, I can look it up. I'd been struggling with my cerebral palsy growing up, legs being not working, braces, all this stuff, which is not good to go to school. Well, well, I didn't have the braces yet. All these orthopedic shoes people made fun of. Go to the doctor one day. I think I was 13, 12 or 13. I says, you got to have braces, Mike. I sat there and listened to him. Didn't say anything. you got to have braces on your shoes, up your legs, to help fix this problem. Now, let me tell you something. As a 12-year-old boy, I did not want braces. I knew what would happen to me at school. I knew what would happen to me at school. Got back in the car, sat there. I think I began to cry. That's when my mother told me this. This has a reason. You don't understand it. I don't see it. But you do what's right. You do the right thing. And it'll be okay. Because God knows what he's doing. Okay. When you're 12, I believed her. So that may be where you are. You may hear me up here, this gray-haired old preacher who you think's never done anything wrong, never even wanted to do anything wrong, all this, blah, blah, blah. You can make up all the stuff you want to. And you may say, well, yeah, that all sounds nice coming from you. But me, I'm the little 12-year-old kid in the front seat of the car. Going to get braces. I'm struggling. That's the point of this verse. It applies to you as well as it did to me when I was 12. God will not allow you to suffer beyond what you're able to suffer. Will not allow it. 
It may feel like it, but it's not true. Because, why? Well, the reason is very simple. It's right in the middle of the verse. God is faithful. Whatever you're struggling with as a new Christian or an old Christian, God will help you through that. He provides a way to escape, to, 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 to be alleviated from the suffering, and you'll be able to bear it if you stay with it, if you don't give up. Now then, the other thing to remember about this goes with it is God will give you strength for this process. You feel weak, and maybe you should feel weak. Maybe you are weak. We're all weak about some things, I suppose. But God will give you strength. Here's a promise he made to Christians in Ephesians 3. And Paul is praying this, so it's a prayer that he prays for all Christians, that he would grant you, God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might or power through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love and so forth, he goes on to say that. He prays for us, and I think he's making a promise, that the God of glory will give you strength through his spirit in your spirit to endure the things you have to do or to be stronger to do what you have to do. And Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith. It's not a magical thing. It's not a poof you have a gift and you didn't have it before in the sense of magic, but it is the power of God that that the stronger your faith is, the more Christ can dwell in you and the stronger you can be. So it's a promise there. And you can pray this very prayer. You pray that God can grant you to be strengthened with might in the inner man through his spirit. It doesn't happen instantly. You're not going to feel a tingling in all your bones. But you can be strengthened because you're going to be led to meditate upon his word, to pray, to practice what you know to that point, to resist things that pull you away, to pray some more, practice some more. You're going to be led in this circle that Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians all talk about. This this strengthening circle we can talk about some other time of abounding. And James says it this way in the book of James, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Faith by itself won't work unless it's tested. That means put to the test in real life and challenged as to whether you really believe this or not. Produces patience. Then let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I had faith in the power of the resurrection, and the book. I had faith and believed in the resurrection of the dead as a young man. Been taught that, believed that the dead would be raised. But I, I never had any reason beyond that to think about it too much in some ways, just offhandedly. And then there came a day in my twenties, I think it was, when I stood looking down into the grave of someone I really loved. My grandfather. Look at his grave. I'd stood to put his bed while he died, watched him die. Now he's in the ground, in the casket. We're going to cover it up in a few minutes. We sang Sweet By and By. I think I began to read that. I sang that song in the grave. My family sang that. And uh, I looked in the grave. I thought, you know, You're coming out of there. I believe you're coming out of that casket one day. There 
is where I found out whether I believe. You do not find out if you believe God sitting in a church building like this in air conditioning and comfortable That's not when you find out if you... You can start your belief there, but faith has to be tested to produce the patience to continue to do what God says. So the testing of the faith might come looking down to an open grave. Do you really believe they're coming out? And I've had that experience more than once since then, many times, and now I'm even stronger in my belief that they really are coming out of there. And I preach many sermons at grave sites like that. For some people, I believe they're coming out to a life of condemnation. Some I believe are coming out to a life of joy. But the fact is, my belief doesn't affect that one way or the other, but you have to be tested to find out if it's real. So the problems you're enduring as a new Christian that seem like, well, we're going right back to the old thing. Yeah, you are being tested. You are. Your faith is being tested. Do you believe that what God says about this is right? That, that what that is is a sin or wrong or that you need to change? Do you believe this? You make a new start, get rid of the old stuff, or are you going to keep believing in it? Believe You show whether you believe in the old life or the new life. You show it by what you do. Do you believe in the new life that you have? Then live like that. God will give you strength and uh, well, our time is almost gone. I need to get through this one. But Paul says, because this is maybe the core of what I want to say this morning. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, Paul says. Now this is the Apostle Paul. You think anybody's got strength? Anybody's faced difficulties and overcome and he writes all these books of the New Testament? Yeah, and Paul says, well... I haven't already attained where I need to be. I'm not, I'm not already perfected, but I press on. There it is. I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. I picture Paul just putting one foot in front of another. You ever been on, you ever been on that kind of a walk or that kind of work you're doing? Burdened down? Maybe it's raining or snowing and windy or whatever, and you gotta go somewhere, and you just have to keep putting one foot in front of another. Doesn't life feel like that sometimes? You get in a position where all I can do today is just put another foot out there and walk a few more steps. And there's, you don't even know if you're gonna get there or not. This is what Paul says my life is like. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or grabbed a hold of this yet, but one thing I do, of course he lists three or four things, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, the past life he lived, of insolence, of blasphemy, Paul said, he was a murderer, he left that behind, he, in other words, he remembered it, but he didn't let it stop him from doing something today. You can remember your old life, but if it keeps you from doing right today, that's wrong. Forget it. It's behind you. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, I can't do this. You, you all, all remember Andy Griffith's show? So good old Barney Fife. Some of you, you young people don't know. You need to look up Barney Fife, watch a few episodes. But old Barney knew everything. And Barney was, uh, he, he was always uh, smarter than all the prisoners. They get a prisoner in there. And Barney, one episode, he's got the prisoner and he shows the prisoner. I said, well, show me how this jail cell works, you know? So Barney shows him how the jail cell works and boy, when they slam that door, he says, you're locked in here. And of course, Barney's on the wrong side of the door and the guy runs off. Well, now Barney has got to get the key. The keys are right there on the wall and so I think he eventually knocks him in the floor 
and he is straining with all of his might, barely touching the keys, when old Ange walks back in. Andy walks in. He is stretching. You ever did that? You ever drop a nut down the bottom of an engine, Robert, when you just can't reach it? Of course, now we got magnets. And you're reaching, and you can touch it, you can move it a little bit, but you just can't quite get it. This is the stretching. You have to stretch that far for the things that you want to get in life, the spiritual things. They require an ultimate pushing forward beyond what you think you are. You can reach further than you think you can. And Paul says, I'm reaching for these things which are ahead of me. Not what's behind me, but what's ahead of me. And he goes on to say, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, listen, you keep getting more mature, you're growing up. If you're mature, have this mind, this attitude. And if anything else you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. So you are maturing. You have this attitude of pressing on. And if there's something that you need to know in life that will help you press on, you keep this attitude, you keep pressing on. And if there's something else you need to know, he says God will show this to you through his word, I think is what he's saying. Nevertheless, here's the warning to you. Here's the, here's the meat of it. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by that same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Now, I think the ASV says in verse 16, only whereunto we have attained by that same rule, let us walk. What it means is when you're pressing on to do the right thing, the only thing God expects of you is to live by what you know today. He's not expecting you to live by what you can know tomorrow or next year. He wants you to live right today by what you know. Keep pressing on with that. And then keep learning and you get more knowledge. So I don't want you to be discouraged because you think you don't know everything or you think others know better or you're seeing where you lack in some knowledge or experience. That's not the point. The point here is walk by what you know is right to do. And probably that thing that you're being tempted by to go back to, you already know it's not right. You know it's not the best way. You know that going back to your old habits is destructive. Paul says, don't do that then. Walk on the new rule. What you already know is right. And if you keep doing that, you're going to keep pressing forward. Now, we could spend a long time on that. But but the other thing is, I want to close this out. I know our time is gone. But we, we have an advocate in this. This isn't just about you having to have perfect Bible knowledge or something like that. You do need to understand what your Bible says, what the Scriptures teach you. Because that's how the Spirit works in you. The Spirit comes into you through the Word and changes your heart. It changes your mind. And so you act a certain way because the words of the Spirit are in your mind and you changes what you think. But we have an advocate, a helper. The word advocate here in Greek is the word for a lawyer. It literally mean, literally means to call to the side of. So you're called before a court or a judge. You're, I think it was Benjamin Franklin said anyone who represents himself in court has a fool for a client. Okay. If you want to be your own lawyer, you have a fool for a client because you need a lawyer that knows the law to speak to the judge, knows how to speak to the judge. And then what he said, that's what it means to call to the side. So he says here that Jesus Christ is the one that we can call to our side to advocate in our behalf. God's tipped the scale in our favor. He's on our side. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. I don't want you to sin. 
See how people, people say, well, you're just going to sin. It's just part of life. You're just going to sin. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat the small stuff. That's not what this verse says. This verse says, yeah, I write this so that you won't sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, there's more to this passage. It goes on down. Uh, starts above that and goes down below that. But what he's saying is you have someone now that you're a Christian, not before, now that you've been buried with Christ, raised up in a new life. In this new life, you have someone you can call to your side who will help you. And he helps you through his example, through his teaching, through his word, through the spirit. He helps you to do the right thing. And when you need to pray, you need to pray in Jesus' name. Because he's standing at the throne of God to plead for you, not against you, not to accuse you. That's what Satan does. You have this advocate. You need to use that advocate. All right. You know what? I'm going to skip this whole big point except to make this point. The Bible says that Jesus lived a sinless life, and that means you can too. Well, I'm not going to delve, delve, theologically delve into that this morning. But what you need to know about Jesus Christ as your advocate is he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. <laughs> that verse exploded in several centuries of controversies down through the centuries. But I just believe what it says in a plain way that he was tempted in all points, not in every single particular sin, but in all points. And that was seen not only when he was taken up into the wilderness and tempted by Satan, but it was seen in the way he lived his life in front of the Pharisees and Sadducees and through front of Pontius Pilate. He was tempted to do the very same things that we are. And yet he did so without succumbing. Now what it tells me is this. If you cannot sin, then you cannot be tempted. It does, the word doesn't mean anything. If it was impossible for Jesus to sin, how could he be tempted? Now you can, I've seen scholars dance in circles around that, but the words don't make any sense. It's inconceivable in that sense, if you know. It doesn't mean what you think it means. He had to have been put under some kind of test or else he couldn't have been said to have been tempted. So when Satan took him on the top of the pinnacle and said, you know, I'll give you, throw yourself down, God will protect you. There was a temptation to do it to prove that he was right. He said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Use scripture. Then when he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Said, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all these things. Now you could argue whether Satan could really do that or not. I think he could have. Do you think Jesus was tempted to do that? I think he was. Did he? No. <laughs> He said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. That's part of what this means. Which means that you can resist the temptations that God puts in front of you. Often it's a question of desire, not a possibility. Our sin is mostly a question of desire, not possibility. Whether we have to sin or don't have to sin, we can debate that forever. The question is, why do you sin? Failing and getting back up is part of the Christian life. It's just part of the life that we live, failing and getting back. And we see this by all the characters in the Bible that God loved. They fell and they got back up. So you fulfill your commitment today. And I'm going to skip over the last one. We're talking here about Philippians. And I want to close by encouraging you to obey the gospel of Christ. We're going to sing a song now as we close our service to encourage you, if you're not a Christian, to become one this morning by being baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, be lifted up from that grave 
to start a new life and God will help you and bless you in that. And if you're already a Christian and you need the prayers of this body for forgiveness or the prayers of this body for encouragement, come this morning, come to the front. We'll pray with you about that and God will forgive. Can we help you? Let's stand and sing.